This is episode number 109, which is part one of my interview with CEO and founder of Skyline Security Management, Edwin Aroyave. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. On this show, I bring you people who have been hyper-focused on becoming the best version of themselves up to this point in their lives, have seen great success in doing so, and continue to work on themselves day in and day out. Today's guest is Edwin Aroyave. I had the pleasure to meet Edwin and his wife, Teddy Mellencamp, this past February at the Super Bowl in Atlanta. Edwin is the CEO and founder of Skyline Security Management, which is one of the largest authorized dealers of Brinks Home Security. Edwin was born in Bogota, Colombia, and has one hell of a success story that I can't wait for you to hear. In this interview, Edwin talks about where his confidence comes from. He talks about how he's put himself in uncomfortable situations intentionally. He talks about how he motivates his salespeople, the seven questions he asks himself every single morning, the biggest lesson that he's learned from his wife, Teddy, and so much more. This episode is broken up into two parts, so stay tuned for part two to be released in just a couple of days. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with the inspiring Edwin Aroyave. All right. Welcome, everybody, back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am really fired up today for uh, this interview. Um, I'm fired up for most interviews that I have, but today um, is going to be a super special one uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, I've met... Edwin Aroyave before, um, and he's turned into a little bit of a friend, a little bit of a mentor, and so I kind of want to just start off by acknowledging you for kind of being that friend, being a little bit of a mentor for me ever since I met you down at the Super Bowl uh, this past February, um, and you've been nothing but great to me and kind to me, and I just want to start off by thanking you for that um, and be and for being here today. Yeah, no, well, I'm I'm excited to be here. Uh, unfortunately, that Super Bowl for me wasn't the best. <laughs> right. One of the worst Super Bowls for me, but I still had fun that weekend, and I got to meet you, man. So it was it was great to be there. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, good deal. Well, Edwin's the CEO and founder of uh, Skyline Security Systems, and I know we're going to get into a little bit of that, some of your story, uh, some of leadership, um, and then uh, kind of how how you've gotten to where you are, maybe some of your current habits, and all that good stuff. So I'm excited to dive into that. But I want to make sure people get a little bit of context and a little bit of background information on you. Um, you were born in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and at the age of six, you and your family, your parents moved you and your older sister here uh, to the kind of LA area. And so I kind of want you to take it from there and kind of tell people your story from kind of age six to about age 15 um, and just kind of start where you moved and then kind of like how it went south a couple weeks afterwards, I guess. Yeah. So we came to the U.S. at six years old and uh, unfortunately, two weeks after coming to the U.S., our home got raided by law enforcement for suspicion of drug trafficking. And that day, both my mother and dad went to jail. And my sister and I, my older sister and I, were taken to a foster home where we lived for the next eight months until our parents got acquitted of all charges. The problem was that once they came out, our home continued to get raided. And in fact, for the next four years, our home would get raided at least once a year. And finally, on that fourth year, our home got raided one last time, except this time they were able to put away my dad for a very long time. The cops were nice enough to allow me to speak to him right before they took him in. And his last words to me were, son, you need to become the man of the house. You need to take care of this family. 
And I took those words to heart because my dad was my hero and I told him that I would. And our family had grown by now. We now had two additional siblings. My dad did leave us some money, so we were okay for a little bit. Uh, but about two and a half years later, we started to run out of money and we had to move into a city called Huntington Park, which is not to be confused with Huntington Beach. Right, right. right. Polar opposites. And things were okay, though. We, we found a three-bedroom apartment. But unfortunately, three months after we found the apartment, we ran out of money completely. And now we had to rent out two of the bedrooms in the three-bedroom apartment so that we could afford rent. So now my siblings, mother and I were left in this tiny little bedroom, and that's where we slept. And as you can imagine, it wasn't the best living situation. It was crammed. It was dirty. Um, I still remember roaches waking me up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Well, to stop you real quick, I didn't, so there were, you said there were two extra siblings? Yeah. So, so who were the, I I only knew you had an older sister, I think, right? Yeah, no, uh, my little brother and little sister. So I have, uh, they're about nine, eight years difference for me. So one's nine year difference, the other one's eight. So at 15 years old, I had to basically start taking care of the entire family at that point. And I just remember at a very young age becoming obsessed with making a hundred grand a year. I literally would think of that number hundreds of times a week because I related that number to being able to take my family out of the situation that we were in. And then another big thing that happened to me around that time frame was that my mom would always pray over me at night and pray over me in the morning. And that was, important to me because at a very young age, I began to feel like I was blessed and that God was with me. And it gave me that little confidence that I needed um, when I went out there looking for a job, just because I was a very shy and timid kid. Mm-hmm. But you know, that, that little faith gave me, you know, if you're ever going to go after your dreams, you're probably going to have to take on some God-sized challenges. And when you take on God-sized challenges, you know, self-sufficiency is just no longer an option. And it's at that point that I believe that you have to believe in a higher power uh, to get you through those dark days because whenever you're going to go after your dreams, there will be a lot of dark days. It's There will be resistance. Mm-hmm. And faith is what has always helped me with that. And so the this kind of might be the faith part might be the answer to this question, but you said, you know, when you were young, you got obsessed with that $100,000 number. And then like, you've always through like my, my research and listening and getting to know more about you. It seems like you've always kind of felt like you've had some sort of control over your destiny. That's kind of like the the phrase that I've used in my head about you. You felt like you've had some sort of control over how successful you can or cannot be. Why do you think you had that that like sense or belief in yourself that you had the control coming from the circumstances and the situations that you came from? Yeah, I think I was blessed with what I call PMA, which is positive mental attitude. Okay. I had that and, you know, for I guess people that aren't as religious Another way to look at faith is faith is just the projection of the most beautiful possible thing for the future versus Hmm. the opposite of that, which is fear. Fear is just the projection of the worst possible thing for the future. So whether you like it or not, you're faith-based. So if you're going to be faith-based, you might as well go with 
faith, you know, look at life through faith, love, um, gratitude, and abundance versus fear, anger, hate, and scarcity. And one of the, if you're struggling with faith, one of the biggest keys to increasing your faith is just increase your gratitude. And here's why. Gratitude won't change your current situation, but it will change your heart. And when you have gratitude in your heart, you can't be worried and you can't be angry. When you have gratitude in your heart, you're going to have love and abundance in your heart. And when you have love and abundance in your heart, you're going to want to serve people. You're going to want to add value to people. And the beautiful thing about that is when you add value to people, you're going to be in you're going to be able to influence them and then you're going to be able to lead them and then you're going to be able to impact many, many lives. And I think at the end of the day, our biggest legacy will be left by the people we lead, not necessarily what we produce ourselves. And again, that all starts with adding value and serving first. And a lot of people have a problem with that or they, they just don't understand that. But again, if, if you could just add value to people, you're you're gonna influence a lot of people. Yeah. I, I've never I liked that distinguish the distinguishing between the faith and the fear thing, because I never thought about it like that as a the future projection um, in terms of like the greatest thing or the worst thing. That's really cool. I definitely am gonna pull that clip out. Um, so how at a young age then when you kind of you know, you, you weren't, you didn't come, you didn't, weren't great, like in school growing up and everything like that. You didn't necessarily have any particular skill set. You're talking about service. How at a young age did you start to be of service to people and of value to other people? Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think at a young age, um, I, I started, when I started working at the phone company. Yeah. I was a very shy and, and very timid kid. Um, and I remember when I got the job, I was like, man, this is like the worst possible job I could have ever gotten. Yeah. And this was at age 15 to catch everybody up. So yeah, so at age 15, I go searching for a job. I was lucky enough to get a job selling long distance over the phone. And at the time, I thought it was the worst, possibility, worst possible job for me. Because like I said, I was very shy and timid. But after being rejected at my last 13 interviews, I realized that this was my only shot. So I just was so grateful to have a job and so fearful to lose it that I just went in there and I outworked everybody. Mm -hmm. And by outworking everybody, by the age of 18, I became the manager and what's crazy about that story is that there was no reason I, the only reason I became a manager was because I attempted to become the manager, which was crazy. Cause again, you're a very shy and timid kid, but I was this young kid that had these big dreams of making a hundred grand a year by the time I was 21. And I knew that the only way that was going to happen was if I became the manager by the age of 18. So I had to go all in on becoming a manager knowing very well that the odds of that happening were stacked against me. And the truth of the matter is most people wouldn't have even attempted it because of that fear of not succeeding. They would have allowed fear to paralyze them, mm. right? 
And what I did is I just went all in because I had no other option. And what ended up happening is I became that manager. But I always talk about how the key to a goal is not necessarily to accomplish it, but it's to become the person that actually attempts it. Yeah. And by attempting it, it just so happened that the three people that were in front of me that were way more talented than me at the time all got fired within within uh, eight months span. So I was I sort of became the manager by default. Right. But I was ready, right? Yeah. And what came out of that is that by the age of 18, I became the youngest manager in company history. I started to manage over 40 people and I started to make $1,000 a week. Now my mind began to accept that I deserved more. Mm -hmm. In life, you could only receive what your mind can accept. If you don't feel like you deserve something, you're never going to get it. And the only way you're going to feel like you deserve something is by experiencing it. So at a very young age, at 18 years old, I started to believe that I was worth a hundred grand a year in my heart because I had experienced it. I didn't see anyone else at 18 years old managing 40 people. A lot of those people being twice my age, uh, a lot smarter than me in many ways. And just the fact that I was in that position and started to succeed at that position, I started to really believe. But again, the only way you can experience something like that is by getting out of your comfort zone and attacking your fears. And I had to attack a lot of fears being that young and going after this big, massive opportunity uh, where most people wouldn't have even tried because they would have allowed that, oh, I'm too young, I'll never get the yeah. job, why even try, etc. But being in that position, I started to just, and again, I say a lot of this stuff, I didn't know at a young age, but I was great, I was blessed by God that just kind of gave me the common sense to think about this stuff. But when I got the position, I, I started putting people in front of me. I was taking care of people first before I took care of myself. Mm. But a lot of that came because I knew that at the end of the day, I could always take care of myself when it's all said and done. But first, let me take care of people first. And that created a big following and a big loyalty. And again, the loyalty came from me teaching people, mm. I started to educate people on how to become a better salesperson. I started showing them all my techniques and educating people, teaching people takes a lot of time. It's not easy. A lot of people aren't willing to bring people under their wing and show them step by step. And I started to take a lot of people step by step and I would get on phone calls with them on Sundays people that were struggling, I literally took hours, I'd come in an hour early just for them so I could teach them. And that started to create this loyalty uh, where people just had my back. And as I look back, it was the education part. I was, I was adding value to them. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was kind of what I was gonna ask. I was like, you know, you obviously like kind of in your head, you know, like as you talk about you become and then like you kind of take action and kind of catch yourself up to that person that you believe that you are. Um, but uh, but you obviously obviously had certain skills that 
put yourself in that position and that allowed you to succeed in that position. And then after a couple of years, you know, you were managing more and more people. And so I was going to ask you, like, what do you think at that point made you a great leader? And I guess it was just serving other people and providing value to them and teaching them your ways and, and the different skills that you've learned. Um, but so what are the, maybe what are some of the lessons that you learned back then in terms of like managing and leadership that still stick with you today and that you practice on a routine basis, I guess. You know, one of the things that I loved about that phone company that I used to work for at a young age was that before we would get on the phones to sell, we literally would have to study for an hour and we would study on mindset, we would study administrative and we would study sales. And that was huge, but I wouldn't say I had that many skills. I literally just became great at the presentation, I became great at the rebuttals, and that be, that greatness came from continuous practice. Like I practice, I would practice in front of the mirror every day before we would get on the phones. Mm. We would role play with each other, and this is every day. We would role play with each other for at least 20, 30 minutes on different rebuttals, uh, different things that may come up during the presentation. And that was huge because I didn't even have to think of the rebuttal. It literally was reflex. Say, oh, this, and boom, I'd have a reflex answer for it. And it gave me confidence in the product. And when you have confidence, knowledge gives you confidence. And when you have confidence, you're able to transfer that back to the client, right? Ignorance gives you fear. When you don't know about something, you're going to be scared. And in sales, you cannot look scared, right? Because then you're going to transfer that energy to people. And the minute you transfer that to people, they're going to see it and they're not going to want to do business with you because they're going to realize that you probably don't know what you're talking about, right? So people want that certainty. That certainty comes from knowledge. So, you know, it wasn't that I was this great salesperson. I just knew my stuff. And for me, selling was always educating people. I never looked at myself. I still don't look at myself as a great salesperson, but I always felt like I was educating people and Mm. doing a demonstration to them. Okay. And I figured if I did that, it would sell itself and, you know, it worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the preparation side of it was just key in order to be able to go in with the, with the proper confidence. For me, my confidence has always come from preparation because yep. even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm shy, timid, you know, uh, in fact, I, you, I don't know if you caught on to this, but when we did that red carpet at the Super Bowl and I ran into you for the first time, you know, usually they're asking my wife all the questions and then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I know who you are, and you asked me a question, but I wasn't prepared for it, and I got, I got a little nervous. Yeah. Got to catch that. But it's, for me, because I'm naturally, I'm shy and timid. It's, it's not my style to just come up with stuff. I got to prepare. And yeah. you caught yeah. me sort of not prepared, and you could see that fear come out. Yeah, that's actually funny because um, I, I only remember that now that you say it because I asked the question, and Teddy was the one who kind of like, said something first to spark 
like the memory in you. Like I asked, I asked you about a particular thing from the Ed Milet po- podcast, um, and she was able to jog the, your memory, and then you kind of <laughs> you kind of jumped in from there. But I actually kind of want to talk about the same thing that we talked about there, um, and it's something that you like to talk about is increasing your necessity level in order to like to perform and performing in pressure situations. So I want you to kind of again, kind of run with that idea because I know you talk about that a lot and you've kind of practiced that in your life a lot in terms of increasing the level of pressure that you put yourself under in order to perform. Yeah, so I've always, again, this is my experience. Some people might think it's different, but I think when you're in a low stress situation, that equals low performance. Naturally, if you're low stress, low performance. For me, I've always tried to put myself in pressure situations that will force and that will force my necessity level to increase, my urgency level to increase. And an example of that was, you know, when I first started at 21 years old, the VP of that phone company that I used to work for comes into my office and he says to me, hey, Edwin. I'm going to resign and I want you to come with me to start this alarm company from the ground up. He says to me, I can't guarantee you the $70,000 a year that you make here, but if you make this work, you can possibly double, triple, quadruple what you make here. Now, keep in mind, this is in 1999, so $70,000 a year is probably 200 grand a year now. Right. And the first thing I thought was, man, if this guy's willing to leave a a job that's paying him $250,000 a year. He must be pretty serious about what he's doing. Second thing I thought, if he's willing to, you know, uh, teach me how to start a company from the ground up, I'm like, this is the mentorship I've been looking for and the shortcut to college that I'm looking, that I've been looking for. Cause I, I barely graduated from high school with a 1.8 GPA. So I decided to just, you know, and well, the third part of that is I was a big dreamer. Right, I was that kid that would ditch school, and which is probably why I ended up with a 1.8 GPA. But I would ditch school, and I would come to Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills. I'd go down Rodeo Drive. I'd go window shopping, and then I'd go look at all the homes in Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills. And I'd be like, "Man, one day I'm gonna end up in a home just like that." So because of all that, I realized that the only way those dreams were gonna happen, including buying my mom her house, was if I, I had to make more than $70,000 a year and I knew that I was the only way that was going to happen is if I started my business one day. So as you can imagine, I took the plunge and unfortunately for me, when I first took the plunge, I went 10 days without being able to sell one alarm system. So we used to go door to door selling alarms. And the, the reason I wasn't able to sell an alarm system was because when I decided to take the plunge, I somehow convinced my seniors at the phone company to change my schedule around. And now I was able to work selling long distance over the phone from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Then I would get off of work and then I would go knock doors from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. But because I didn't have the urgency in me, I wasn't able to sell. Because you still had that... uh income on the side. Exactly. I was still making my 1350 a week. So whenever I wouldn't sell that day, I just go home saying, oh, it's all right. I still made my 1350. I guess I'll try harder the next day. Yeah. Anyway, I went 10 days without selling. The only reason I stayed doing what I was doing at the time 
was because my brother-in-law at the time was doing two sales a day. And as I looked at what he was doing, I was like, what's he doing different? Because I'm the one that trained him at the phone company. So I should be better than him. So what is he doing different? And the difference was that he had fully resigned. I hadn't. And I figured at that point, I needed to put myself in a situation where I had no retreat, no option B. I needed to burn the ships. So that Friday, after 10 days of not selling, I went into the phone company that I had worked for for the last six years, and I fully resigned. And then all of a sudden, what I couldn't memorize in 10 days, miraculously, I memorized in one day. Right. I knew all my presentation. I knew my presentation, and I knew all of my rebuttals. And I studied probably 16 hours that weekend nonstop, just back and forth, back and forth. Um, and next thing you know, on Monday, I come back with confidence, just confidence through the roof because now I knew my stuff. Yeah. Monday I came back, I got five sales in one day. I made $1,500 in one day, which was what I made at the phone company working 70 hours a week. And I, I remember just so being so excited and thinking, man, imagine if I could do this every day. I remember not even sleeping that day, really, because I, I, I couldn't wait to go to work the next day. Yeah. And uh, the rest is history after that. But again, it took me finally putting myself in that situation where that urgency, you know, came out. And, you know, I, I've been asked before, well, what happens if you can't handle pressure situations, right? Mm-hmm. And what I, my, I guess, rebuttal to that is, or my answer to that is you got to start stacking some wins under, under your belt, right? Yeah. And the only way you can stack some wins under your belt is by keeping the promises that you make to yourself. When you say you're going to do something, you do it no matter what. And the more you, you, keep, you come through on the promises that you make to yourself, the more you'll be able to handle those pressure situations. But I think a lot of times – the reason people can't handle that pressure is because they have a history of continuing to let themselves down on promises they make to themselves. Yeah. So their unconscious mind just doesn't believe that they can step up to those kind of situations. And, you know, nine out of the 10 times, they probably can't. Yeah. I feel like if people think that there's somebody who can't perform in pressure situations, it's like, I do think there are probably people who are prone to be better in pressure situations than others, but I also think it's a little bit of practice. So like like you said, it's kind of like put yourself in a pre- pressure situation to start that maybe isn't like too much pressure, but at least like gives you a little bit of practice, gives you a little bit of repetition and like slowly like put yourself under more and more pressure and you'll get to see how you respond and what it takes to actually succeed in the pressure situations. The idea of- on that. I love that you said that because yeah, you got to at least attempt it, right? And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. You want to be the, the purpose of a goal is not necessarily to accomplish it. It's to just become the person that actually attempts it. Yeah. Most people won't attempt it. And if you won't attempt it, you won't be able to experience it. And if you can't experience it, you'll never believe it in your heart. And if you never believe it in your heart, you're never going to get it. Yeah, it's so funny. I was kind of like talking about this on my Instagram story yesterday because I was at the gym doing box jumps. And, um, I realized when I was doing it, I was like, you know, on box jumps, you always kind of like always jump to the level of the box. And I was like, 
if the box is low, you're only going to jump that high. And then I was like, but the higher you put the box, like the more you're going to test yourself and like see what you're capable of. And I think a lot of people like with box jumps, I, I compared box jumps to setting goals is like, I think some people set too low of goals and only get to that point because that's the goal that they set for themselves. But if, if they stretch themselves to what they are truly capable of, then they, then they're going to perform to that potential. But at the same time, like you can't overstretch if you don't truly have the capability, but you kind of have to be honest where yourself with yourself as to kind of like where that threshold is. Yeah. No, hundred percent agree on that. Yeah. Um, but let's go, I kind of want to go into a little bit of like what you do now with skyline security systems and stuff. So you talked about how, you know, they go around, you go around knocking doors, selling security systems. And so door to door sales is, you know, the people who are doing that experience failure a lot, right? So who or like, how do you motivate people who experience failure so often to keep at it and to keep going? You got to work on your mind. I mean, the mindset, it all comes down to mindset, especially with sales, because I think the biggest problem with people that are in sales is we have too much freedom. And if you don't have discipline, you're just not going to do very well. When you say you have too much freedom, what do you mean? Uh, you don't really have someone looking over your back, right? If you're a 1099 or you're 100% commission, I mean, the great part about that is that you're able to make as much money as you want. The problem with it is you got too much freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just can't, they don't know how to deal with that freedom, right? They don't have the discipline to not look at their phone and fully focus on getting a sale. So the main thing that we like to work on with our guys is developing their mindset. Because what I believe about mindset is mindset controls your behavior. Mindset is the way you think of and see the world. And it goes way beyond your core beliefs about yourself to encompass the way you think about everything, including the way you treat and consider others. So I think, you know, with us making people a better version of themselves first, everything else after that sort of, you know, the money just starts flowing, the success starts flowing. And we want to make people just aware of why they do things. And that is the beauty about mindset is when you can become aware on why you do things or why you have these habits, you can now change the bad habits, right? Because right. mm. a lot of times the problem with habits is you don't even realize you're doing them. Yeah. But when you become aware, you're like, okay, I need to change this. So we, we are a smart home security company, but we had a mind shift in that we're really a leadership development company that is fueled by a smart home security company. And we wanna create an environment where people are unleashed to fulfill their God-given potential. And I think as leaders, we wanna be gift finders. And what I love about what we do the most is we're able to gift find and we're able to pull out people's gifts that they didn't even realize that they had. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you do that, you can create major, major impact uh, on this world. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. For me now, it's about leaving a legacy and that will be built by the people that, that I'm able to lead and seeing their success. It's sort of a way that I can also give back 
for all of the blessings uh, that I've had in my life, just the, you know, the last, all my life, I should say. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's a really cool, like, the way to describe the business and kind of how you go about it and the mindset towards it. And I think being, it's like all about making other people, like, like you said, aware of what they're doing so that they're very intentional about what they're doing um, and making sure that like everything they're doing has like a purpose towards whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. I mean, it starts, I mean, like I, like I said earlier too, I mean, one of these big things that's huge for me, how do you increase your faith, increase your gratitude. Mm. Every morning I ask myself seven powerful questions. Um, number one, what am I happy about? Number two, what am I excited about? Number three, what am I proud of? Number four, what am I grateful for? Number five, what am I committed for? What am I committed to? Number six, what am I enjoying? Number seven, what do I love? And then every set of those seven questions comes with sub questions, which is what about it makes you happy? Wow. And then how does it make you feel? So the reason that's important is because our mind literally forgets about things and, and really quickly. And a, a couple months ago, I woke up in a bad, just in a bad mood. And I think it was a Sunday. So right away, I'm like, okay, I'm in a bad mood. I got to go to my seven powerful questions. Number one, what am, what am I happy about? And it took me a minute to find out what I was happy about. And I obviously I have a lot of things to be happy about. Yeah. I was just in a bad mood and I wanted to find something new that I was happy about. And I couldn't think of anything. And then it popped in my head. 12 hours ago, I had just had my biggest sales day in company history where we installed 108 installs in one day. Jeez. I had already forgotten about that huge accomplishment in just 12 hours. All of a sudden, bam, it hit me. I'm happy again. Right. right? All of a sudden, my morning made a complete 180. The other uh, time that it helped me, where it wasn't too long ago either, my wife is early in the morning. I'm in a rush. I'm running a little late because I know I have some meetings. And she's like, can you make me some coffee? And, you know, she was still in bed. And I was like, no, I don't have time. I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. I go make myself a coffee. And I do this every morning. So as I'm running around brushing my teeth, I'm asking my questions, right? right. So it just so happens that as I'm pouring my coffee, the question is, what am I committed to? Mm. My wife. What about it makes you committed? And then right away when I ask that question, I'm like, oh, crap, I better get her some coffee. Yeah. And I got her some coffee. I took it to her. And, I mean, she was smiling from ear to ear, gave me a big hug, a big kiss. It was like the biggest thing for her that I actually got her coffee, which I wouldn't have done if I wouldn't have asked myself those questions, right? Yeah. And, again, that's a way to cultivate gratitude and, again, increase your faith by increasing your gratitude because when you have gratitude, again, it won't change your current situation, right. but it will start changing your heart. And that's where it starts, right? There's mindset, which is great. That's 25% of it. There's um, what I call heart set, right? Heart set is your heart needs to be in a good place, which is, that's a perfect way of getting your heart in a good place. Third one is your health set, which I know you know all about, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to get our fitness going, right? 
there is no point. There is no point of being a titan in your industry if you're dead. Yeah. Right. You That's need a good point. Be, you need to be healthy. And then the last one is your soul set. Right. So you have mm. those four things. Your soul set is your faith. Right. What are you about? Are you taking the time every morning to just speaking to your faith? Right. Yeah. Um, you have those four things. You're, you're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, I think that goes to kind of, you know, what you talk about is your four pillars, the faith, family, fitness, and finance. It's kind of those things that you're always kind of working on and proving all those things. And one real quick thing um, on that is I feel like the gratitude thing is it's always just a practice. Like you, you, if once you stop it, like you said, your mind like forgets things really quickly. It kind of like, for whatever reason, I think it's because our minds, you know, are wired for survival. And so we start going for like the negative things is that we forget all the positive things. So you have to just continually practice it. It's not just like a skill that you attain and then you always have it. It's something that you have to just continually develop and you continually work on. Yep. And you got to your great point, Nick, because when you don't, you just, Forget about it. Yeah. I think you, you, you articulated that perfectly. We're, we're, we're made for survival. So a lot of times we just go to the negatives, you know. Mm-hmm. My friend and I were talking about how it's so easy just to focus on the negative when you have everything else going for you. You'll focus on this little part that doesn't even matter. Yeah. And you have to, again, be aware because it could become a habit. But when you're aware, hey, why am I acting this way, right? Why do I feel like crap? You know, the antidote to being worried and, you know, being fearful is being grateful. Yeah, I think I might have to take those those seven questions. I, I think that's good. Um, but one thing I, I really like the way you've talked about the, these kind of like three things in the past um, that I've seen on other on other things before is the purposes, problems and freedoms or like kind of getting the freedom after that. Um, so I kind of want you to kind of break that down and, and that idea for everybody and how you view it. Yeah. So that is, so I think the key to life now that I've, you know, wisdom has kicked in now 42, 43 years into it. Now I realize that what gives us true happiness is us continuing to grow in all areas of our life. So we're supposed to improve until our last days on earth. Right. And the way you do that, I have this formula that helps me with that. And the formula has to do with having a balance of the following three things, which are purposes. And these are your goals. These are your dreams. And this is what keeps you alive. You got to have purposes. The other one is problems, right? Problems you need in life. And believe it or not, also give you happiness and also um, keeps you alive because Without problems, we cannot grow, right? Right. So in order to grow, we have to embrace, we have to go through resistance. In order to grow, we we need resistance. Big dreams and big problems are like yin and yang. They're inseparable. So when you understand that, you'll realize that problems are actually a good thing and you could actually embrace them. Because if you didn't have problems, you would get bored of the game of life. So, for instance, I know you're big into sports. If we were to play a one-on-one basketball game and I continue to beat you 15-0. Wouldn't happen. Which probably won't happen. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But if I 
But if I continue to beat you 15-0, I might have fun the first couple of games. Yeah. But after a while, I'm not going to want to play that game because that game becomes boring to me. You see, in life, we want to get challenged. Whether we like it or not, that's what keeps us alive. And that even goes into relationships, right? We're not, when you're not being challenged in relationships, you tend to walk all over that other person, right? right. Mm. So again, in life, we want to be challenged and we want to embrace that. So again, purpose comes with problems. Our job is to solve those problems. And then the last piece of that formula is what I call restricted freedom. Restricted freedom is where we get to be present in our accomplishments and we actually celebrate our accomplishments. That was one part of my, one area of my life where I was messing up on I wasn't celebrating my accomplishments because I was too busy trying to find the new purpose, right? And that's why you need to have a balance of all three. It can't be right. one-sided or two-sided. So I would have a purpose, have a problem, solve it, and then immediately go to a new purpose. And what was happening is I wasn't present in these accomplishments and I wasn't celebrating it. So then I wasn't being fulfilled because the celebration and being present in the moment of that beautiful accomplishment is what gives you that fulfillment. And I was skipping the fulfillment part. Now, the reason we call it restricted freedom is because similar to purposes and problems, we, we need restricted freedom to keep us alive because if we didn't have restricted freedom, we'd have total freedom. Yeah. Now, total freedom is a fallacy, complete fallacy. You see, if you had total freedom, that would mean that you wouldn't have purposes, which means you wouldn't have problems, which means you would not be able to solve anything. Mm -hmm. And we were put on earth to create. And when we don't create is when we start to develop anxiety. We start to get depressed. We start to go steer crazy, right? Stir crazy, I should say. And when we go stir crazy, we develop this depression Right. And that's why you see so many successful people that may have all the money in the world, yet they're miserable. Yeah. They're miserable because they stopped creating. They stopped finding new purposes. And when you don't find new purposes, you'll start to self-sabotage and you'll create your own problems. Right. Whether that's now all of a sudden you get hooked on drinking or you drink. Now you start partying too much because you didn't find a new purpose. So the idea is to continue to find new purposes in all areas of your life. Yeah. If you already captured the business side, well, what's another part of your area that you can find a new purpose on that you haven't really worked on? Maybe it's the family. Yeah. You know, if you haven't worked on that, maybe it's the faith part. But again, it's just continuing to grow in all areas of your life. Yeah. And, um, you know, you talked about earlier my four pillars, and those are huge for me because those are my foundation, and I believe that's, to me, what's most important to me. And number one is faith. Number two is fa uh, uh, family. Number three is fitness, which is body and mind. And number four is finances. Now, what we got to understand about these four pillars is that there is no such thing as balance. If you want to be great at any of these, 
you have to get obsessed with them, which means it's gonna take most of your time, which means three of those areas are gonna be, you're gonna have to sacrifice them a bit because you're just not gonna be able to put that much time into them. Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is that during our life, different areas of our life will spike at different times. So the key is to identify which areas of your life are not spiking and make a conscious effort to make incremental improvements in those areas because in life we are either growing or we are dying. The last thing you want to do is go cold turkey and stop working on an area of your life because when you don't do something for a long time, you're going to start to dislike it. So if you haven't gone to the gym for the last 18 years, I can guarantee you, you probably hate the gym. Mm -hmm. And what you don't want to happen is you don't want to allow one of those pillars to come crumbling down because if you allow one of those pillars to come crumbling down, it can possibly set off the other three pillars to come crumbling down, including the one that is spiking. And I say that because I've experienced it. In 2016, I allowed a pillar of mine to come crumbling down and it almost set off all other three, including the one that was spiking at the time. And that pillar for me was... There you have it. I hope you enjoyed part one of this interview with Edwin. He has such an inspiring story with so many amazing learning lessons that we can all learn from. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you take a second to share it with one friend that you think would be inspired by it. Share it with someone that you think needs to start dreaming just a little bit bigger. Share it with someone who lacks some self-confidence. You never know, this episode might just be the thing that they need to inspire them to take more action in their life. Remember to prepare. In anything that you're doing, find a way to prepare, at least to the best of your ability, because the preparation will breed confidence. Because like Edwin said, preparation gives you confidence, ignorance gives you fear. And remember to stay tuned for part two with Edwin coming out in just a couple of days, because you will not want to miss the biggest lesson that he learned from his wife, Teddy, what his relationship is currently like with his father, and so much more. So now it's time. Put yourself in an uncomfortable situation sometime in the near future so that you allow your necessity level and your urgency level to rise to a level that you didn't think was possible. Only then will you really truly see what you're capable of and only then will you start to unlock what it means to get closer and closer to your best you.